But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you on this Sunday morning. I know this is a little bit unexpected. Um, You probably expected me to be here with everybody. For those of you who are watching at home, you're actually not going to notice that much of a difference. But for those who have been joining me regularly uh, on Sundays in our building, this is a little different. Um, One of my daughters was feeling not so well this week, and we had her tested for COVID on Thursday, um, just out of an abundance of, of caution. And we actually still haven't had the results yet. It's Saturday night. I was hoping to be able to have had those results sometime early Saturday, but We've been checking our emails and calling, and it looks like that's not going to happen. So because of that, the elders and I decided that this would be the best way to approach it until we get final results regarding it, because we want all of you to know that we are taking these measures to make sure that our opening goes well, we're, um, yeah, we're just keeping in mind all the different factors involved in this challenging situation all around. So want you to know that we are praying for you all and super excited for the time that we gather together. So with that, we're going to look at today's passage from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. And as Jungju read, uh, this is the second part of our series, this little interest series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To summarize from last week, Remember that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. That is to say that each aspect of the fruit is interconnected with one another. It's not multiple fruits. It's one fruit with different aspects and all interwoven together. They're not separate entities. Also remember that each aspect is supernatural. These are not character traits. They're only possible if the Holy Spirit produces them and they flow out of you as a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. And then lastly, they're sequential. God first reveals each aspect through His Son, and the Holy Spirit then produces each one of these aspects of fruit in the life of the believer so that you will glorify God, and you'll have a desire and delight to express these fruit to one another. So let's begin by continuing to look at these individual aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're continuing with this next aspect, which is kindness. Again, I need to emphasize kindness is not a personality trait. Our God is steadfastly kind. And according to Romans 2.4, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Kindness is both practical and peaceable. Practical in the sense that it meets the needs of others and not simply your own. It's proactive. Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 2 that 
we consider others better than ourselves. It's looking to see how we can help and encourage people who are hurting, who are broken, who are weak, who are worn, and we're actively pursuing one another. And so it looks to benefit others before yourself. It's, it's not being nice. It's having a heart of affection to want to glorify God and to be able to care and be compassionate for one another. Kindness is also peaceable. It doesn't just give advice or give gifts. That's not kindness in and of itself, not at least the fruit of the Spirit kindness. Kindness ultimately spurs you on to, as Tim Keller notes, to give of yourself. It's so hard to be truly kind in friendship because kindness refuses to give up on one another. And by definition, kindness is steadfast. So to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life expressing itself outward to people is to refuse to give up on people. And frankly, it's very easy to give up on people, especially when we're hurt, when we're discouraged by someone. Perhaps we've been wounded and really impacted, and there is this instinct within us to say, I'm just going to cut you off. Uh, Things are done between us. But kindness is exactly the opposite. It's not a cutting off. It's a persistence, steadfastness. And steadfastness means you're there waiting, just like the prodigal's father, who rather than cutting off his son for being so obnoxious and arrogant and self-centered, instead he is waiting. He waits for his son to return. And the Holy Spirit produces that type of kindness in each one of us. He makes us open to that person, vulnerable, humble, merciful. This kind person, the fruit of the Spirit kindness, doesn't need to dominate conversations, doesn't need to make all the different aspects of one's life about oneself, is recognizing that there's a real need to express mercy and compassion and has a heart of befriending people. Our God is so kind towards us. And that really is the Christian's motivation, inspiration, and really the power upon which we're able to be kind, is that we're always going back to the well of remembering that God was first kind to us. Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. If you really look at that passage, you see that the kindness of God shows itself most when Christ, God's own Son, gave himself for us on that cross. That is to say that there's no righteousness that we gain by our own merit and by our own works. We've been seeing this all throughout Galatians. 
There's not a single bit of our own righteousness that makes us good enough for God, righteous enough for God. The only way we could ever come into his presence and be accepted and welcomed into his family is, according to uh, what Paul says to Titus, by his own mercy. We see that in verse 5. His own mercy is the means by which we're able to come and to be welcomed into his presence. And if we truly get this, then the Holy Spirit, through faith, allows us to believe and to trust in him. And that's exactly what Paul says. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works. The gospel, the Holy Spirit uses to change us and good works flows out of us. Kindness flows out of us. But we devote ourselves to be kind in that sense. We, we strive for compassion and empathy. Again, it's not meritorious. It's an outflow. It's a fruit of what it means to actually be shown mercy is that we start showing mercy to others. And if we really want to know if we understand mercy and kindness and love, it's not going to happen by willing ourselves out of our own sort of well within us because our well is way too narrow. It just doesn't have any depth at all. But know that when we understand what we've been saved from, how God has been so kind to us, so merciful, so compassionate, from that outflow grows compassion, empathy. We, we might battle fits of rage or impatience with others, but there's no way to overcome that by, by our own willpower and strength. We, we can't do it. It's just not possible. The kindest people in the world are those who truly grasp how unkind they were before Christ. How impossible it is to be kind without Christ and his atoning work. That our instinct is to be unkind. And really, if you meet incredibly kind people, Holy Spirit, fruit-given kindness, you'll notice one thing about that person. They're broken. They actually know so deeply they aren't kind. There's something lacking within them. And so there is a, a God who is steadfastly kind towards them, which is empowers and fuels their kindness. So that's kindness. The next aspect of this fruit is goodness. And it's very similar to kindness. But I think of goodness as what is deep within and kindness as an expression of that goodness. Scripture so regularly describes God as good. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good and do good. And that really is, it is, isn't it? God's nature is good, and so he always does good. It's impossible for God to do bad things, for God to be evil. It's just not possible because he is good. It's it's just who he is. It's his character, and it's, it's part of his being. And so 
when God does anything, it's always good. That's why Genesis chapter 1 describes all of God's creation as good. Because He is good. And He can't create anything but good. He's never intrinsically evil or bad. He's always good. And because He is good, He shows mercy. It's, it's so much a part of who He is. The psalmist writes, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. We can completely trust him no matter what happens in our lives because the Christian, the spirit-filled Christian knows that God is good. And even though you might face incredible difficulties, and even though there's those points you cry out to God, and you call out to him. But at the end of the day, you know that he is good. And even those difficult experiences and trials that we face, we know that God truly works, as Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, he works all things for our good. And we know that to be true, not because maybe things in the moment feel so good. We know he is good. Is there any greater characteristic of God, though, that is more questioned than his goodness? But to do so is to ultimately not believe in God at all. One biblical commentator describes this about God, that he cares not is just as unthinkable as that he cannot. Essentially, what he's saying is that if you say that God is not good, then there's no way he could be God, because that's intrinsically who he is. And so the more you live as a believer and the longer you live, you will begin to see how good God is. You'll also see how lacking our own personal goodness is. And that's why goodness in the life of the believer is always a supernatural act. Because if you examine your own heart, and Christians do this, we see our own works, our inabilities, our regular frailty, and it's so tempting to think that there is nothing good within me. I can't do it. And it's true. Goodness is a supernatural fruit. We get our goodness outside of us because inherently inside of us is self-centeredness. And so we have to turn to the one who truly is good. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, people are willing to die for a, quote, good person. I mean, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that? It means that you'll die for someone in your family. And I know you might be thinking, well, I don't always think they're so great, so good. But we all know how it is. It's your family. They are good. They're, no matter what, they're good. And you'd be willing to die for them. Maybe you'd be willing to die for someone who's good to you. Someone who you know treats you well, cares for you has shown you good things, given you gifts. 
Generally, maybe you might be even willing to die for someone whom you consider to be a generally kind or thoughtful person. On July 10th, Philip Krasik went tra uh, trail running in the Pleasanton Ridge, and I know some of you know this story. He suddenly disappeared. No one had seen him since. A an army of volunteers had gone to the whole Pleasanton Ridge and searched it, checking every coordinate. And it really was a tremendous search. Thousands, almost a thousand people searching for this man. Why did so many people care so deeply? Why did they decide to spend so much time, and people are still searching now, way after search and rescue stopped, professionals, professional rescuers stopped searching, yet people are still searching. A Facebook group was created to find him, and it was over 12,000 people in that group talking about how do we find Philip. Well, I think the reason why people were so enamored by the story and wanting to help was that Philip was a family man. He had two young kids and a wife. There was nothing in his history about being bad. He seemed like a generally nice guy. I wonder if he was a thief or a murderer or a drug addict or a homeless man, do you think there would be as many people trying to find him? Now, Jesus is right. For a good man, some might be willing to die. But who would be willing to die for an evil person, an enemy? The world dies for good people, nice people, morally nice people. But only God dies for an enemy, such as me and you. Only Christ gave his life for those who despised him, who rejected him, who wanted nothing to do with him. And yes, I'm talking about you and I. We had no love for him. Romans 5.10 says that we were once enemies of God. Listen to what Romans 5.6-8 says. Um, first, Psalm 106.1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. You know, loving kindness is agape, never-failing, steadfast, sacrificial love for those who don't deserve it at all. It's the Romans 5, 6 through 8 love that loves rebellious, unrighteous, self-centered, don't deserve love at all. And that's the point of Psalm 106 is that you don't need loving kindness, steadfast love, if you're always good. That type of love, gracious, agape, steadfast love, is meant for people who fall short, who don't deserve it. You see, you can't be good with that goodness by trying to be good. You can't strive for it. We're not talking about, hey, kids, be good. Kids who you're required to love. No, this goodness comes from outside of us. And it strikes you at the core of your being. It begins to change you. And when this person is changed, they start doing good by being able to be good even to those who don't deserve goodness. That's how you know it's supernatural goodness because that's exactly God's goodness towards us. Psalm 119.68 describes the fact that we grow in compassion and empathy by doing good, by pursuing reconciliation, 
by treating others with dignity and respect, especially those who don't deserve it, by serving those where we get no benefit out of it. In fact, it's costly. <laughs> if you will just bear with me one more time as I make a plug for our youth, for uh, Access High School and junior hires. I mean, there's a reason why I'm asking some of you who you don't, and I know we've asked some of you and you say, I don't have kids who are junior hires, they're high school. I've never worked with that group. I don't, like, I don't have an affinity towards them. Or they're just difficult. I mean, teenagers, preteens, there's so much going on with them. I don't know if I want to really work with that group of kids. But this is exactly what a Christian is like. They're not going to minister, care for, be compassionate solely towards people who are exactly like them. Quite the opposite. To be Christ-like is to think beyond yourself, to go beyond what is most comfortable to you. And the promise is, he doesn't say that to us just because he wants us to suffer. No, quite the opposite. He wants us to find greater delight and joy in Him and trust in Him and rest in Him. We don't get to that place, though, until we live by faith and actually operate in the way in which God has towards us. And so these are small steps, so many others, upon which we take in our lives to be able to experience the fullness of God's mercy and kindness and His goodness towards us. Another aspect is faithfulness. I love this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. I love them all, but this one is something that I think is, is, is so cherished. We see this word in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. I'm sure many of you have heard this in this text in particular. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, Lamentations is a book of mourning. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The people are wailing, lost homes, family, loved ones, all because of their sin, their rebellion against God. They just refuse to trust Him. Time and time again, they refuse to listen to the prophets who are saying, repent, turn from your ways. And they refuse. They refuse to trust. And so God finally brings judgment upon them. And so Jeremiah, or one of the prophets who wrote this book, is just lamenting all that he's seeing, all the brokenness, all the death, all the suffering. But in the midst of it all, he gives these promising words. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have to understand faithfulness is not just simply something that is seen in the moment. It's seen in many different ways. First, faithfulness assumes longevity. For God, 10,000 years is but a day. So when we look at the Bible in Genesis to Revelation, it, it's the whole sweep of human history from the beginning of the creation of humanity to judgment and eternal life with Him. But for God, that whole sweep is but a day, a moment. So 
for God, when he is faithful, he is faithful from beginning to end. And no matter how often people sin, no matter how much they turn away from him, no matter how much they reject him, God remains faithful to his promises. God is always faithful, no matter how dark it is. Faithfulness can only be measured truly over longevity in the way that God does it, in the way that God expresses faithfulness. And for many of us, we have to be able to recognize that faithfulness comes in that. It comes in serving in for long periods of time. And only when you are able to walk a long walk, a long season with people, can you just see the fruits of all of God's great faithfulness. You know, I've had the privilege, and it truly has been a privilege, of being with Wellspring for 21 years. And in it, there have been all sorts of ebbs and flows, joys and challenges, sorrows and bountiful joy. I've seen really young babies that I've held in my hands, getting closer to even points of marriage and life. And I've seen people grow from darkness to light, from, from not being saved to being saved. And I would not have had the privilege of being able to see the fullness of those things without actually being able to see it over two decades. I'm not saying for every person that they have to be in one place for a long period of time. But the point of it is that there is something to faithfulness, the ability to be able to last, persevere. And it's not easy. There are so many temptations to want to give up. You might have experienced this in marriage where you've committed and yet it's so tempting to give up. Maybe in parenting, you're exhausted. Some of you moms and dads of very young children, you're just sleepwalking right now. You can barely open your eyes and you're going to work and you're waking up early in the morning. It's so hard. You can't imagine you're saying, I can't wait for the day when they're no longer doing, you know, crying in the middle of the night, throwing tantrums. I can't wait for them to be old so I can, we can go do things together, play sports together. It's interesting is that talk to older parents and you see how fast life goes. It always happens. And so longevity helps us to see that perspective. We need that. Faithfulness is also unceasing. As we saw in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It doesn't take a break when things get hard. Faithfulness doesn't leave and come back and leave and come back and leave and come back. It's not flaky. It's not wishy-washy. It, it's not dependent on our emotions and our feelings. Our emotions and feelings are going to go like this. That's just who we are. But faithfulness in the middle of the emotions just remains. Again, there are times of sorrow and grieving, hurts and pains, disappointments and discouragements. It's just part of life, part of a broken, sinful world. But just like our Savior who was faithful and kept his eyes fixed on the cross, 
where in Luke 9.23, he says that his face was set on Jerusalem. He was ready to go. Nothing was going to stir him to the left or to the right on that journey to the cross. And so faithfulness just continues. It doesn't give up. It keeps on going. Faithfulness is also about fulfillment. When a promise is made by the Lord, it is always kept. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20 how this promise is kept. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. I love that. God has proven he is faithful because Jesus is the reality of a kept promise. That all the promises of God are yes, are fulfilled in Christ. We can never say that God is not a promise keeper. He doesn't. He's not faithful to his promises. He's always faithful to his promises. He always keeps his promises. Brides and grooms promise lifelong faithfulness when they're at the altar and they're staring at that efficient and saying, I do. And they, they've covenanted with one another. But you know what? Faithfulness is not about them saying, I do, at that, you know, before the efficient. We know that. Faithfulness is, all right, how are you going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Are you going to be faithful to those covenantal promises that you've made? Faithfulness is not seen in the moment on, at the I do. It's seen over the decades. If we don't understand this, we can't be faithful. We won't be faithful. And there's no way we can be unless the Holy Spirit provides that for us, and he does. Also, faithfulness is over a little. This is what I mean by this. We learned this from uh, uh, Jesus' parable in Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. There's a lot of truth in that statement. I have found that the most faithful people to the Lord tend to be those people who are going to consistently do even the smallest of things. They're the ones who are perhaps cleaning up. And I'm not saying that in and of itself it's something, but you just see that when a person is there, when we used to fold bulletins, they'd be doing that or cleaning or Uh, just going to visit somebody or even coming to pray or just the smallest of things, things that no one notices, that person is usually faithful in the largest of things. When they're unassuming and small, there's no credit. But you see that person doing it over and over again for the long haul. That person, the Lord just uses I have to imagine that there's going to be, when we go to the Lord and we're with him in glory, there are going to be many people who are going to be favored by the Lord. And we're going to say, who are these people? It's not going to be the famous preachers and pastors and missionaries. Many of them are going to be people who simply prayed, who were faithful in praying in their closets, reading scripture and maybe someone going around and just sharing the gospel without any acclaim. It's 
it says so much. The Lord is telling us that you don't get that type of faithfulness over little things where you get no credit at all and you're still faithful. Where no one says, oh, you're doing a great job. You're so skilled and talented. Faithfulness is not going to be about someone here preaching. It has that, but you have to first be willing to be faithful over the little. Faithful in the parenting, the mom that you are as you're leading your children to Christ. The father who is spending time discipling their children. Wow, that's a huge faithfulness. And the power of that is unimaginable. Faithfulness also requires a faithful Savior. There's no way we can be perfectly faithful. We're never going to be. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit who points us to Christ, who draws us near to Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ's faithfulness. And out of His faithfulness, we strive for faithfulness. You just can't do this on your own. Our flesh is too strong. We love self-glory. We are vainglorious. We wouldn't last. Our desires for personal attention, applause, verification, is just too strong in our hearts. Faithfulness is a fruit that is not seen in short bursts. It really takes a long time. I was struck by Megan Hill's book, Praying Together, and the faithfulness of a very few praying together for years. At the age of 10, she describes how when she was just a young child, at that young age, she would go to prayer meetings where there would be only a couple of others with her, only a few. And she talks about how she joined these weekly church prayer meetings where often only one woman came and they prayed together for nine years. And after she, you know, she got older, she left the church, went, you know, became an adult, traveled, but she kept in touch with this woman. And as they went through all the different people and the prayer requests that they prayed over and they examined the different people, it was amazing how she describes how so many of those people were impacted just by God's grace and kindness. But God used their prayers. I have to admit that when we have morning prayers, um, early on in my ministry when we would have morning prayer, I was so tempted. It, it actually happened many times where I would automatically be thinking, okay, who's here and who's not? And it's also tempting to think, okay, those who are here, they're the most faithful people. They're the most godly people. But I came to realize that that was such a self-centered way of viewing what it means to be faithful in over little. That it's not about the numbers. And it's not about making sure that, well, if there's 50 people at a prayer meeting, then we're going to have a really great prayer meeting. The Lord's really going to hear us. But if there's only two, then the Lord's probably not going to hear us because there's so few who really care. No, God actually just simply wants us to be faithful. He wants me to be faithful. Not to who's here, but to the Lord who is here by His Spirit. And so when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings and there's two or three people, it's a blessing. Again, I'm not saying, hey, don't come out. I want you to come out. 
But I will say this, though, is that whoever is here, I'm so thankful for faithfulness. I'm thankful for the Lord's faithfulness, actually. Not the faithfulness of that person sitting there or there. Not for my faithfulness, but for the Lord being faithful to me. And that makes our prayers so much richer. And then faithfulness flows from us. It's what the Lord wants from us. So once again, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's not possible unless we have been remade, reborn. And here's the truth. You could be the nicest, most good person in the world, but deep inside, there really is no kindness, no goodness, no faithfulness. Also, you could have been a monster, a terror, utterly evil. You could have been like Saul of Tarsus or the Philippian jailer or Peter who denied Jesus three times or St. Augustine, the immoralist. But when the Holy Spirit comes and changes you and remakes you and gives you new life and new birth, suddenly what you see in your heart is you're freed from the ugliness of your own soul because that ugliness was born at the cross. That ugly cross becomes our delight, our freedom, our joy. And the kindness and goodness and faithfulness, it flows out of that. Edward Perano wrote a hymn and he described it this way. He said, sinners whose love can ne'er forget the wormwood and the gall. Go spread your trophies at his feet and crown him Lord of all. May you take all that you have, both the good and the evil, lay it at his feet at the cross, and our God will give you great joy and delight in him. Would you join us as we pray and prepare our hearts for communion? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your spirit who opens our eyes to yourself and helps us to see that there is no other place to turn except to your son, Jesus. He makes all things well. We thank you for the spirit of God who does the impossible to recreate us, to give us new life, and to allow us the privilege of experiencing the outflow of this tremendous fruit. Father, use this church as a means by which the gospel of your Son would be radically transforming our hearts so that we would go into a world that so desperately needs the good news of Christ. Empower us by your Spirit. May this fruit of kindness, goodness, and faithfulness be lived out here at Wellspring. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name.